guest on The Year That Made Me Today describes himself as a kind of bogan in a literary world. Holden Shepherd grew up in Geraldton in West Australia, watching footy and labouring at his dad's earth-moving business. But he spent his holidays and weekends writing stories, stories that he kept hidden from everyone in his day-to-day life. Years on from those secret scribbles, Holden's just released his second novel titled The Brink. And I'm very pleased to say that Holden Shepherd joins us now on The Year That Made Me. Welcome, Holden. G'day Julian, thanks heaps for having me mate. Tell us about being a bogan in a literary world. What was the world that you grew up in, Holt? Yeah, I think I grew up more in a bogan world. Uh, you know, coming from Jero, even if you are a writer, you still got a little bit of bogan in you, uh, which is pretty normal, I think, <laughs> for a lot of a lot of country towns. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in that kind of world where dad was in earth moving and me and my brothers kind of worked for him. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> you want to be a writer and uh, that's not the same world. You know, literature is a completely different field. So uh, I found myself completely, you know, fish out of water in that world. Yeah, yeah. And, and where did you become conscious of that sense of, you know, being interested in things that were different from what was expected of you growing up? Oh, I think really young. I was a reader. I was a very geeky kid. My family used to call me number five, uh, which is like a robot from a movie called Short Circuit, I think, in the 80s. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I was the fifth. I was the fifth kid, so that's why I was number five. But I was also like, more input, more input. You know, like I just <laughs> was this little nerd who wanted more input. So I've always been like that. Uh, but it was, you know, Jero kids are not, you know, especially Jero boys probably, you're kind of meant to grow up and get a trade and, and go into that world. I was a little bit of a misfit in that way. Tell us a bit more about your, your family and your background, Holden. Yeah, so I'm uh, yeah one of six kids, a Sicilian-Australian family, so big Italian influence, lots of cousins, lots of, you know, I think we were basically the family that if we rocked up at someone's house, everyone would be like, oh, here they are. You know, there's going to be a heap of noise and it's all just going to go to hell now. So we're a bit chaotic. You know, some people refer to us as the Kerrigans from the castle. So, <laughs> and, you know, not exactly the path that maybe shapes a future literary person. Mm. And as a young boy, is it right that you've, you found a bit of a community online as a place where you could write and get feedback about what you were doing? I did. This is super embarrassing, but uh, I used to write Pokemon fan fiction. And, <laughs> awesome. Uh, um, I can't believe it's yeah, not its I, own uh, radio <laughs> national show, to be honest, but anyway. <laughs> Can I just pitch that now? Yeah, no, I used to love Pokemon. I used to love writing fan fiction and and I didn't want anyone I knew to know about it. But yeah, I could go online, find this other, you know, global community of other geeks who were writing fan fiction and who loved Pokemon. And uh, I posted all my stories in there from about the age of 12 to 20. And I loved it. Probably the first time I ever found my tribe, you know what I mean? Like other people who were mm. similar to me and they taught me to get better because I'd post a chapter and people would say they liked it. But then someone would kind of be like, that's not how you use that you know, sentence structure or that's not how you do this. And it was like an apprenticeship, you know, a geeky apprenticeship. But I think it's what made yeah. me a better writer. So Holden, how do you go from being an anonymous writer of Pokemon fan fiction to uh, a published novelist? Um, yeah, well, I learned how to write in a different way, in maybe a deeper way once I got to university and that shaped not just my writing skills but my ability to kind of dig deeper and to connect with other texts and other ideas that were bigger than, you know, fan fiction. Mm. But along the way there were some pretty dark and difficult times, weren't there, Holden? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I did not have an easy road, especially I think probably going to uni. You know, so you moved from Geraldton, I was 18, 
And, you know, people who live in Perth say, oh, Perth's a big country town. But if you actually come from a country town, uh, it doesn't feel like that. It felt like the big city and it was quite overwhelming. And suddenly I'm there in a university lecture hall surrounded by people who seemed very sophisticated, seemed very knowledgeable, and I just didn't fit in at all. So that first year, that was a very disconcerting and disorientating year to begin with. Um, but then there were other things going on for me personally that, you know, probably made it even worse. And and is that the year you've chosen as the year that made you Holden? It is, it is. I've chosen 2007, but I don't think I would be the man I am today if that year hadn't happened, even though it was kind mm. of, it was probably the darkest year of my life, probably the toughest year in a lot of ways, but it kind of forged me, you know what I mean? Like once you've had that kind mm. of very difficult year, but it, it kind of made me feel like, okay, if I can survive that, I can survive anything. In a nutshell, I'd struggled with my sexuality throughout high school, which was just kind of ongoing. And initially it didn't bother me too much. And then once I realized that I was, you know, a bloke who likes blokes and that was not a phase and it wasn't going away, that started to really upset me. And I got very self-loathing, very depressed. And and eventually, especially 2007, um, I just really didn't want to be on the planet anymore. Like I just was quite resolved that, you know, I couldn't find a way to be a guy who likes guys, but also be who I was, you know, it didn't seem to compute. I didn't feel like or look like the gay guys I saw on TV or or the guys I saw, at, you know, around university or like I just didn't, I was like, this is not me and and yet here I am, you know, so coming to university and trying to, trying to fit, realising I still don't fit here any more than I fit in Geraldton, you know, like I was still a misfit and I had a job at a, at a supermarket doing like night filling, um, which is absolutely the worst job if you're depressed, um, by the way, because you just have like six or seven hours at late at night where you're just like obsessed with your own thoughts. And so, yeah, like that was the time it got really dark and I just kind of would drive home each night from that job thinking, yeah, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And thankfully it turned around. Was there a particular turning point that you look back on as the critical inflection, Holden? Um, There were a few things. Um, Firstly, reaching out, I reached out to a service, you know, one of those kind of like 24-7 mental health crisis Mm. service I reached out to one of them, but actually I was so paranoid at the time that I didn't use one in Australia because I was just like so paranoid that someone in Australia might answer the phone and like work out who I was and that I was gay, which is obviously completely paranoid. Mm. But I used, to, I used a completely anonymous service in the UK actually just to make sure I wouldn't be outed. So that helped kind of turn things around mentally. And then, uh, yeah, a couple of things happened that kind of defined me in that year. I met another guy at uni in my second semester and I thought he was kind of hot. Um, I started flirting with him and he ended up being my husband now. And I started learning how to kind of use my own life experience and, you know, the unique thing that is me, that I am a bit of a misfit and a literary bogany kind of guy, that I could put all that together and put it into art, start writing about it. And, you know, that started to work for me. It was obviously very difficult to deal with personally, Holden, but how hard was it to write about those things in literary form? When I first started writing about it, I was very angry. And I think that anger kind of propelled it forward. So I actually found it really liberating to start writing about that stuff in person. Mm. It was more when it came to sharing it that suddenly that was absolutely terrifying. You know, like I, I could quite happily write in a journal or write a story or process my trauma through something I'd written. But then when the idea was, okay, you know, other people are going to read this, that was just like I was, oh no, I can't handle that. I can't handle people knowing this, you know, that I'm that I'm this vulnerable, that I'm this messed up. I was terrified because it kind of attacks your character and it kind of 
shakes up the public perception that you're tough or that you're okay if you kind of write that you're not that tough and you're not okay. So uh, the sharing part was the more frightening aspect. You know, the art itself was really cathartic. On The Year That Made Me, we're speaking with Holden Shepherd, who's recently published his second novel titled The Brink. And Holden, you say at the end of The Brink that this is a book that looks at masculinity and the experience of being a man in a way that you would have loved to read as a teenage boy and that part of what you're trying to do is to empower boys and men to be their whole selves. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that and maybe some of the reactions that have meant a lot to you from readers of your work. Yeah, I, you know, Invisible Boy is the first book and, and especially The Brink. They've both got heavy themes of masculinity and just dealing with what that means. And The Brink especially, I didn't want to come at it with a sledgehammer and be like, hey, you know, these things are bad and these things are good. Um, I just feel like we see that a lot in the discourse and I was like, "Mm, that's not what I want to do. So what I tried to do was represent a kind of a bit of a spectrum of different kinds of boys in this book. So you have people like Brayden who is gay and, you know, fairly effeminate, fairly camp and he's actually fine with that. And you have someone like Mason who is actually kind of like the alpha male and a bit of a footy jock and but he's also attracted to men, you know, but he's slightly, his masculinity is slightly different. You've got someone like Leonardo who's a nerd who is terrified and shy, but he wants to be tough. So he's trying to learn how do I become confident and assert myself? And, you know, for him, that's the expression of masculinity that actually is quite real and, and quite healthy to actually be able to express and stand up for yourself. Um, and then you kind of have the other end of the spectrum where you've got people like Jared or Ryan who are kind of uh, aggressive or violent and their stuff is expressed slightly differently. But I wanted to just show this full spectrum. that There's all these kinds of ways of expressing masculinity and especially with the kind of healthier versions maybe that I've put in the book, I want boys to see that. I want young men to see that. I want it to be seen that it's incredibly human to be vulnerable and to feel all feelings. And I am very touched by the responses I get from readers from both books since Invisible Boys came out, for example, I've, I've pretty much had a message or an email every day on average. And even, yeah, I do get teenagers coming up, sometimes gay kids, sometimes trans, young trans men, sometimes bi guys, sometimes straight kids. Like It's just really kind of crosses every demographic. If you write something about shame and how, how sensitive and how ashamed guys can feel about masculinity, wanting to be a guy and, and the things we like about it as well as the things we don't like about it, it really does connect with people on a deep level. Holden, congratulations on both books, but in particular, The Brink, the new one. Uh, And it's been great speaking with you on The Year That Made Me. Thanks very much for being part of it. Julian, thank you so much for having me, mate. It's been awesome. Cheers. And of course, we always finish The Year That Made Me by asking our guests to nominate a piece of music to go out with. What have you chosen for us, Holden, and why? Uh, Yeah, so the song I've chosen is called Working Class Hero, originally by John Lennon, uh, but it was covered by Green Day in 2007. And I remember driving around in my Nissan Pulsar, 91 Nissan Pulsar, driving around Perth on the way to uni and this song came on the radio for the first time and it was announced as, you know, this new Green Day song. And I remember listening to it and it just kind of summed up exactly how I was feeling at the time as this working class kid moving to the city, moving into the literary space. So that's why I've chosen this particular song. Fantastic. Well, here it is, a working class hero. And if you happen to be in a Pulsar right now, turn the windows down, turn the volume up and give it a big blast. Thanks again, Holden. Thanks, mate. Cheers. As soon as you're born, they make you-
you feel small By giving you no time instead of it all Until the pain is so big you feel nothing at all A working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school They hate if you're clever and despise a fool Until you're so crazy you can't follow their rules Class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks All free on the ABC Listen app